Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn about the Wisdom Toolbox, igniting compassionate observation and action for the greater good. My first guest is Dr. Dilip Jeste. He is the author of Wiser, The Scientific Roots of Wisdom, Compassion, and What Makes Us Good. And I wanted to give a little background about the good Dr. Jeste. He is a Senior Associate Dean for Healthy Aging and Senior Care, Professor of Psychiatry and Neurosciences, and Director of the Center for Healthy Aging at UC San Diego. He is past president of the American Psychiatric Association. He is a neuropsychiatrist specializing in geriatric issues. Jeste has spent more than 20 years studying aspects of healthy aging and the neurobiological roots of wisdom. And if there were ever a time when wisdom in the house, it's right now. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's a pleasure and an honor to be on your show. Well, I feel the same way. And I feel like there is a call to wisdom, a global call to wisdom right now. We need to activate and, and support more wisdom for ourselves and for those around us in order to recover from a year that's pretty unusual. That's exactly right. And I would say it is not only the last year of COVID, but for the past about 20 years or so, the loneliness has doubled. The number of suicides have gone up by something like 33% in the U.S. Deaths from opioid use have increased six-folds in the last 20 years. And yeah. The world is becoming more polarized, stressed out, and unhappy. So, and COVID-19 made it much worse. So you're absolutely right. But Dr. Jeste, you said something really interesting in our conversation prior to getting started with the interview. You were mentioning how older people have fared better in the last year. And you attribute it, I'm not going to spill the beans, but tell, tell the audience why, because it makes perfect sense. So older people, we all know, are at a higher risk of physical complications from COVID. They were more likely to be admitted to ICU, more likely to require ventilation, and more likely to die. And yet, psychologically, the older people have handled the pandemic better than younger ones. A number of studies from across the world show that. I think it comes from both resilience and wisdom that come with age. 
many of the older people have said that, you know, they have been through much worse, and they know that they will get over this too. You know, it's interesting that you, you mentioned this because I care for a 95-year-old elder along with my partner, and she said at the beginning of the pandemic, she said, you know, we escaped from Austria, you know, during Nazi times, and we got through that. This is nothing. And that conversation just rang, you know, true in my ears as you were describing that. So her perspective at 95 the trials and tribulations that she has lived through, COVID pales in comparison to running for your life. That's exactly right. I mean, many older people are role models for wisdom and resilience. And there's a lot to learn from them, how they handled it in spite of higher physical risk. That makes it even more impressive. Also, they don't have access to technology or they're not as comfortable using technology as the younger people are. So in spite of those disadvantages, they're handling it better. So it's really inspirational. We have another friend, a very dear friend of our aunt, who is also in her 90s. And one of her hobbies is writing scathing letters to government officials. <laughs> and she did it on an old-fashioned Olivetti typewriter that broke at the beginning of the pandemic. So I said to her, I'm going to find you a new one on eBay. And I found her this typewriter and I found her the replacement, old replacement ribbons that had been unused. And I brought it over to her house for a gift. And she felt like her, she had been reborn, right? That she had regained her voice that was silenced because she couldn't, she couldn't express herself because she couldn't type these letters. And I, I, I think that th this is the wisdom that you're talking about and how, how do we teach it or how do we learn to be more wise? So wisdom is a personality trait, but it has different components. One component, and probably the most important one, is empathy and compassion. Another is self-reflection, ability to look inward, understand yourself, and improve your behavior. And one more is emotional regulation, which uh -huh. refers to control over our emotions. And these are the critical components of wisdom that all can be improved, and starting with childhood. And in a way, good parents do that. We teach a toddler who is throwing a tantrum when he doesn't get something, is to tell him that, no, every time you can't get something, you can't throw a tantrum. You have to control your emotions. We also tell him to share the toys with other siblings, neighborhood kids and others. So we teach empathy and compassion. When he doesn't do well in math and he blames it on the teacher, you say, no, it's not the teacher. Maybe you didn't study hard because you were involved in sports the day before the exam. So we are teaching self-reflection. So we, in a way, implicitly do that. But what is needed is to do that explicitly on a regular basis at all levels. And we live in a society today that has used antibacterial right, wipes. You know, we're trying to disinfect ourselves from germs to have a, 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 an air quote, healthier life. And this is prior to the pandemic, right? The popularity of these little pocket um, disinfectants. Right. And in a sense, it's a metaphor to what we have done to try and eliminate conflict 
or problems in our own lives and in the lives of our children to make it cleaner, less stressful. And it's really done a disservice to us. That is true. That is true. That we are doing things which are helpful from one angle, but they can also hurt from another angle. And social relationships are very important, and we need to keep them in some way or another. Uh, so without taking the usual precautions that we all need to take to control the pandemic, but still, we need social connections. We need empathy and compassion. We need to talk to other people. We need to have social relationships. Then only we will do better. And we need conflict, right? We need a certain level of conflict because it's what teaches us how to handle life when life isn't always easy, right? It makes, I, I, in my view, it makes us better people. Absolutely. I mean, one of the components of wisdom is acceptance of diverse perspectives. So I may have certain values and I may hold on to them strongly, but I can understand why others may have different value systems. That doesn't mean that either of us is evil or dumb. That we, there are rational basis, there is rational basis for each perspective, and we need to understand that. That doesn't mean we need to agree with them, but compromises will emerge only when we work with one another, when we listen to one another, try to understand the behavior. So you're right that we need conflict because that makes us better educated and wiser. And we need to, I think we need to also check our, our judgment. Not only do we need to self-regulate in terms of um, our emotions, I think we need to learn to regulate judgment. Because when we suspend judgment, we're able to activate that empathy and compassion that you talk about. Exactly. I think wisdom, in a way, is a balance. It is balance between decisiveness and acceptance of diverse perspectives. It is balance between cognition and emotion. It is oh. balance between being selfish and uh, unselfish. I want to ask you, is it possible to accelerate the accumulation of wisdom? In other words, can we put ourselves on a boot camp program to become more wise? I really think so. Usually we say that wisdom comes with aging because experience comes with aging, and that is true. However, we do not need to wait till uh, we get older before acquiring wisdom. We see some young people who are very wise too. So what is needed is making an active, conscious effort, sustained effort on multiple levels to improve empathy and compassion, self-reflection, emotional regulation, acceptance of diverse perspectives, and so on. I think we definitely can do that. And there are studies, actually, including some randomized controlled trials that have shown that you can increase emotional regulation or empathy and compassion. So there is actually evidence to support that we can increase these components. And how, if, if you were to give two or three tips to our listeners of how they might increase their empathy glands, <laughs> you know, or broaden sure. their compassion uh, capacities, what are ways that we can do that? Sure. So one way is uh, 
keeping a gratitude diary or a journal. So before going to bed, write a couple of things that you feel grateful for or that you feel happy about that you did to help others. If yeah. you do that regularly, you start waking up in the morning thinking about what am I going to write tonight? And so your behavior changes. So it becomes a second habit. Another thing one can do is role play. If we spend 24 hours in a wheelchair or 24 hours blindfold, we will realize what a person in a wheelchair feels like, what a blind person feels like, and we'll become more empathic and compassionate to that person. Mm, I like this role playing. I never thought of it uh, in this context before. The gratitude journal is you know, a tried and true positive psychology intervention that, that we know, but this role playing, you know, actually putting yourself physic physically putting yourself in someone else's shoes to experience life through their lens. I, I think that's fantastic. Because in a way, empathy is understanding and sharing somebody's emotions. So putting yourself in the shoes of the other person, so we can literally do that. And when we do that, that will improve our empathy towards that person. We are going to need to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to continue the conversation with Dr. Dilip Cheste. We're talking about his latest book, Wiser, The Scientific Roots of Wisdom, Compassion, and What Makes Us Good. To connect with Dr. Jeste, you can do so. That's UCSD Center for Healthy Aging. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Before we pause, I want to talk about our precious skin. This episode is proudly sponsored by Apostrophe, a prescription skincare company for people ready to take their acne, wrinkles, and dark spots seriously. After a year of masking up, many of us are dealing with maskne, and as a mom of young adults who battle acne, and my own interest in a glowing complexion, we know that prescription acne treatment really works. Apostrophe makes it easy and convenient to see a board-certified dermatologist online. Save time and hassle. No more in-office doctor visits or waiting in line at the pharmacy. Apostrophe treats your zits and can also help out with other skin care goals like reducing red wrinkles, and dark spots so you can look fresh-faced at any age. Fill out a simple online questionnaire about your skin concerns and medical history. You'll receive an immediate customized treatment plan and prescription skincare delivered to your door. Apostrophe offers topical and oral medications so you can treat your acne from the inside out. This is happiness in a bottle that makes me feel better about myself. I love the quick and friendly service my dermatologist provides provided, as well as the over-the-counter recommendations she made to enhance my prescribed skincare treatment plan. This makes me feel happy in my own skin, and you will too. Get $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash harvesting, and use our code HARVESTING. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash harvesting and click begin visit. Then use the code harvesting at sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash harvesting and use that code harvesting to get your dermatology visit for $15 off. And we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast. 
Now let's take that pause. We'll be right back. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. Returning to the conversation with my guest, Dr. Dilip Cheste, we're talking about the Wisdom Toolbox, igniting compassionate observation and action for the greater good. Let's get back to it. Doctor, I want to also turn the conversation towards positive psychiatry, because as somebody who's worked in positive psychology for many years, I am delighted to learn that you and, and some of your colleagues are turning your attention to positive psychiatry. Yes. In 2012, I was elected president of the American Psychiatric Association. And I was thinking about what theme I would have for my presidency. Until then, during my research, I found that older people are happier. People get happier, I think. So I started doing research on successful aging. But then I realized it happens at all ages. There are things like resilience, optimism, compassion, wisdom. They are integral parts of health. And Lisa, your work on positive psychology really has been outstanding. Um, And I found that that was not happening in the field of psychiatry or medicine. There were very few articles on resilience and these other positive traits in psychiatric literature. So I made positive psychiatry the theme for my presidency. At that time, actually, I Googled the term positive psychiatry. I didn't find a single citation. <laughs> but positive psychology, there were thousands, of course, uh, of citations. And so I made that a focus, and I defined positive psychiatry as part of psychiatry that focuses on improving well-being and happiness through promotion of positive psychological traits. We published the first book on positive psychiatry and started doing research. And I'm really happy to say that that moment is beginning to catch up. We now have U.S. as well as international sections on positive psychiatry in large organizations. So when we say positive psychiatry, are you talking about writing prescriptions for medication or treating treating the, the whole person and their whole body, mind, and spiritual lives for, for optimal living? So when you look at the definition of psychiatry in the dictionary, it defines psychiatry as a branch of medicine that studies and treats mental illnesses. And I said that is too narrow a definition. Of course, we have to treat people with mental illnesses, but mental health, is very important. Yeah. 20% people have mental illnesses, 100% people have mental health. So what do we do? What can we do to improve that? And I said that things like resilience, optimism, wisdom, they come within the purview of mental health, psychiatry, just like it has been in psychology. So we have been developing interventions to promote these positive psychological traits and Clearly, there is evidence that they work. 
And so we really need to, in the field of psychiatry, expand our vision to go beyond mental illnesses and beyond symptoms being treated with medication to improving the well-being of the patient as well as the population at large. I love what you just said about 20% of the population having mental illness, but 100% of the population having mental health and mental health being a right of all people. We we're all entitled to have good mental health and how do we support that? I, I think that is so important and, and under discussed. That, that's exactly right. In a way, what is the purpose of mental health or even actually physical health care? well-being. Yeah. We want people to be happy. That is the ultimate goal of life. That's the ultimate goal of medicine and any other care services. So that's where mental health becomes so critical. Whether the person has cancer, heart disease, whatever, everybody wants to be happy. And that's our job to be able to do that. And when we give people the means to live a satisfying life, the tools you know, whether it's through pharmacological intervention, um, medical intervention, um, psychological intervention, or lifestyle intervention, we're giving people all of these tools and empowering them to make choices for them to have a happy life. This is what I'm hearing you say. That's exactly right. And the importance of these goes beyond just mental health. It has implications for physical health, it has implications for longevity. Studies have shown that things like social engagement, resilience, compassion, they are associated with not only better physical and mental health, but greater longevity. Uh, they have, the social determinants of health are even more important, the studies have shown, than things like smoking, alcohol use, and so on. I'm thinking of the, the U-curve study that was done, oh my gosh, it must be, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe longer, of uh, tracking the happiness level of, of the average human being, you know, coming into the world as fairly happy, the average baby, and then the more, the older this person becomes, or we become, our happiness levels drop, they, they bottom out. Um, when we're in the thick and highlight of our professional careers, when we're busy raising kids, and then there's uh, an up curve um, in our older years because maybe we don't care so much about what others, others think. We're more secure in our own skin. Do you remember that study? Yes, I do. So they called it you innovative U-shaped curve of happiness. Yes, yes. Uh, what we find, though, is some, somewhat different. What we find is that if you, so we have done studies of people from age 20 to 100 plus. What we find is that physical health, of course, declines uh, as we get older, especially after 50 or 60. Mental health goes exactly in the opposite direction. It is worst at 20. At the age of 20, <laughs> when we started our adult study, a lot of stress, yeah. anxiety, peer pressure, um, you think you have to make big decisions and you always feel you are not doing well. But then the good news, as we get older, we know how to handle stresses better. We become happier. And we find that people in the 80s and 90s are happier than people in the 20s and 30s. And that makes total sense, right? Because you, you, know, you don't really care about social comparison any, any longer. 
You feel more at ease in your own skin, right? You know who you are. And I've had this conversation with our, our elder aunt, and she was saying how she never really knew herself till she was about 40 or 50. And that was a turning point for her. Exactly. You know, if you ask a 20-year-old, she will say, I don't want to be 80 and in a wheelchair. But if you ask an 80-year-old in a wheelchair, she would say, he or she would say, I don't want to go back to my 20s. I'm so happy. <laughs> really enjoying. I'm so proud of what I've done. <laughs> well, and, and maybe that's another part of this wisdom is that acceptance of where we are. You know, when we don't try and fight the experience that we find ourselves in because everything is impermanent. So it's not that we just roll over and surrender, but it's accepting that all things are impermanent. Every bad situation will end. Every good situation will end. And, and life is going to be this up and down and series of uh, wins and disappointments. That's exactly right. I mean, my guide to wisdom is the serenity prayer. Yes. Give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And that's true at all ages, especially in older age. So at an older age, you can't do what you are doing physically at 20. But on the other hand, you have a lot of experience. You can do coaching. You can do mentoring. So older people are so important for the wisdom of younger generations. And this is the case for multi-generational or co-housing, you know, when we live with people of multi-generations under the same roof, that you have such a rich tapestry in the family unit, whether it's a, a blood family or a, a family of choice, right? You have so much to offer each other. That, that's exactly right. So I was brought up in a joint family in India, lots of people, including several older people. And that was incredibly helpful. And actually research has shown that when grandparents are involved in raising grandchildren, when those children grow up, they have fewer emotional or other psychological problems, fewer adjustment difficulties, and they do better than kids who didn't have grandparent involvement. Hmm, and that makes a lot of sense. I, I remember my grandparents were very active in my life when I was younger. And what I remember most about them, and we didn't even touch about, upon this quality that I'm going to mention, which is patience. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, there is also evolutionary basis for this. There is something called grandmother hypothesis of wisdom. It says that when grandparents are involved in raising grandchildren, the younger generations live longer, they are happier, and they are more fertile than the older generation. So it helps species survival. And this is really hardcore research published in major journals like Science and Nature. So older people, so, you know, people talk about increasing the number of old people as silver tsunami. I say it is not silver tsunami. It's a golden wave of older, wiser, happier people who will help the younger generation. Yeah. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. We're out of time, but I want you to come back and hang out with me anytime. You and I can have virtual cup of tea every day because this warm, these conversations like this with you warm, warm my heart. I really appreciate the work that you do. Um, your latest book, wiser, the scientific roots of wisdom, compassion, and what makes us good to learn more about the work of my guest, Dr. Dilip Jeste, 
please go to wiserthebook.com. You can also find him over at the University of San Diego Center for Healthy Aging. Dr. Giste, thank you so much for brightening my day. Thank you, Lisa. The same holds here. I have great respect for the work you do, and it is a pleasure talking to you. I look forward to coming back. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. talking about the Wisdom Toolbox, igniting compassionate observation and action for the greater good. My next guest is Deborah Silverman. Through her past 40 years of professional experience in private practice, acclaimed astrologer Deborah Silverman has specialized in helping thousands of individuals achieve emotional health and wisdom based on their unique personality and the four elements, water, air, earth, and fire. Her work with families, individuals, and couples has her standing out in a sea of therapists and coaches. She is taught at the internationally renowned Esalen Institute, and her work has taken her all around the globe. Deborah has a master's degree in clinical psychology from Antioch University. So in my view, she's blending the academic side with the intuitive side with, with the celestial side. And I welcome you to the show, Deborah Silverman. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness. Harvesting Happiness. I can't wait. <laughs> We're in That's it. We're in That's it. We're doing it. <laughs> okay. So Thank you. let's talk about wisdom and our quest for knowledge as human beings. And in the present day, we find ourselves living in why that quest, there's some missing pieces in that journey. You know, I love the word wisdom. Half of it is whiz, smarty pants, and the other half is dumb. Wisdom. <laughs> and I, I came up with that years ago, that, that in order for us to seek wisdom, we have to admit we don't have it. And this is really one of the most powerful entrances of all my work, is the humility that says this human thing is so confusing. I find it so confusing. And yet there are some stars to be guided by. And then there's some elements, some really basic, solid trustworthy elements that the American Indians use the four directions, that the Hawaiians use the four elements, that the Egyptians use the four elements. So when you seek wisdom, it's a good thing to go back to basics. Like where did it all start and how do we get ourselves steeped in a solid foundation that will allow us to be able to actually lean into the elders and find comfort rather than being reinventing the wheel? Like there is some truths that live in the ancient wisdom source of astrology. And there are some basic truths that live in the elemental, you know, the magician in the tarot deck, the very first card comes with the magician. How do I use these four elements to create magic or in your words, to harvest happiness? And so that's been my life's work. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about astro the astrological basics, because there may be some eye rollers, naysayers, stink eyers out there. And I, I, I'd love to address that because the older I get, the more I believe in it. That's all I can yeah. say. Well, the way I begin, and that's what the book is about, The Missing Element, is don't you don't have to believe in it. It believes in you. 
And the entrance level is the elements. Like there's four personality types. Jung did this. Every system that you look at breaks people down to personality types that it's interested in seeking wisdom. I like how you started with that. So in ancient astrology in Egypt, there are these four indicators that describe in a universal way, but super simple, what element to your point is missing that's preventing the sweet spot, that's letting you not feel balanced. So in our, in that book, The Missing Element, you take a personality test and you figure out, and this is ancient Egypt. I mean, it's crazy that the elements never go away. Yeah. Can't live without water. If you don't have water, it, you're not going to, can't live without air. It takes like a minute. Can't live without food, earth, and you can't live without your heartbeat, fire, the blood. So you know, you don't have to believe in woo-woo because I'm a skeptic myself. But when it comes down to really being simple and applicable, suddenly this conversation is not like speculative. Like, is, do you believe in astrology? It's more like, excuse me, I can point to your personality type and make it so practical that you're like, wow, now I get why my husband talks all the time or why he never talks. <laughs> now I get why my kid's a mess or why this kid is so fastidious. Like, it's very descriptive and specific. And when you speak about the elements, you know, water, air, earth, and fire, and you talk about the the missing element, what I'm gleaning from having taken the test myself and just our short conversation before we started the interview, that if we do not have a balanced chart, that there will be missing elements that we can then work with through your process to help cultivate greater balance in our lives and in our stories. And you said it so well. That's exactly right. So you you can see it. You don't have to believe in astrology or even know your chart. The book is so simple. It's an entrance level for advanced or beginners to say, so what element am I missing? And you don't even have to understand, like it's specific to a little test you take, which you just took. And then you figure out the, think of it as four wheels in a car and one wheel is down. And so you want to balance the vehicle by getting all four tires filled. And that's basically what we're looking at. Yeah. I find this fascinating. So let's, when we go back to the astrology basics, you've got a sun sign, which, which is the, where the, the planets were on the day and time you were born, right? And exactly. then what? So then you look at all the planets. There's 10 of them. See, this is where I understand skeptics. I understand people that don't believe in this because I have a skeptic in me. And I'm like, really? The planets influence us? So if you just bring it down to basics and you look at the planetary description without, I, I almost, in the book, I skip all this. I go straight to, let's describe, let's start with the four elements and, and, the description, and then you don't even, even need to know astrology to understand this. So if you're a highly emotional person who cries at commercials and feels tender and is a reclusive character who loves being at home and has a tendency to be more nonverbal than verbal, you feel things, that's water. And you're prone to depression or addiction or you find yourself vulnerable for no reason, like you're in a mood. That's a water personality. You can't relate to that, can you, Lisa? I, I, I am a water personality, but I, I, I got a lot of other things going on. You do. So that's my point. <laughs> Thank God. That's, I, that's why I'm saying it's not just the sun, moon, and rising. It, it's deeper than that. So then the next category, let's go there. The next category are the people that talk all the time, and they're funny, and they're witty, and they're airheads, and they forget where they're going, and they lose things, and they multitask, and they forget their names and their kids' birthdays, and they're just this charming, funny, verbal, articulate character who is a entertainment center and finds themselves a little scattered 
and sometimes guilty because they talk too much rather than get things done. Now, you have a bit of air in your chart, Lisa. No. Oh, stop it. <laughs> so, so there's the air character. And we all know these. They're so fun to be around, if only for a moment, because they flit and they change and they're fickle and they're playful and they're kid-like. They don't grow up. It's the young part in all of us that just wants to say, excuse me, can I ask you a question? I'm so curious. And then they answer. You're like, wow, this person never stops being interested. And they're 67,000 years old. So it's the youthful <laughs> quality as compared to water who can be a little more sober and quiet and internal and less people oriented. The air person's all about people. So that that's a pretty clear description. I'm sure you're thinking of people, you know, should be at this point. Oh, Yeah. I Could live with one. I, yeah. I, I, I live, well, I may live with a couple actually. <laughs> yeah. And they come in clumps. <laughs> yeah. I got a, I have a watery house with a lot of air, the people in yes. my life. <laughs> and by the way, the goal of this game, you guys, is to have all four of them. So yes. don't be confused if you say, I relate it to all of them. That's the four wheels in the car. You That's want the all point, four. right? You want the some, point. some. Exactly. Yes. But there'll be one missing. Then the third category is earth. And these are the super grounded, practical people that love to get work done. They love to go to Costco and they love to buy cleaning supplies and they love to organize their spreadsheets and they do taxes and they <laughs> clean for fun. They think cleaning is fun and they think organizing is fun. So they have a natural impulse to like be the accountant or be the nurse or be the person who's going to build your house because they love little rulers and sharpen pencils. <laughs> it's the practical grounded monsters that are super loyal they get mad when you do the dishes and you don't put them in the dishwasher right and they push you out of the way and go, I'll do it. So they're a little bit of controllers as compared to the air person going, I don't care where the dishes are. I didn't even know he had to do the dishes. So the water person's like, can I help you do the dishes? I'm so gentle and kind. And the earth person goes, oh, so nice to have you here. So earth and water get along great, but earth people tend to be a little controlling and a little bit goal oriented, sometimes at the expense of fun. They're not the funnest person at the party. They're doing the dishes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're the workers. Yes, exactly. You got it. And then the last category is the fire people. And these are the fun factor. They're loud and they're bold and they're physical and they exercise and they eat too much and they drink too much. And they're like a party waiting to happen. They're like, can we go outside to play? They're the kids in school who have the recess thing. Like, let's go already. And they have a <laughs> lot of energy and they're super blunt and they stick their foot in their mouth. And they don't have an off button. They have excessive energy. So you can see how fire and water would conflict because the one that's staying home in their slippers who just wanted to be quiet and cook, the fire person's like, no, we are not staying in. So during COVID, the fire people were going crazy. Yeah. Unless you've got all of them living pretty strong within you, then you've got a big conversation with yourself. Exactly. And then, and then enters the internal dialogue that brings us to therapy so they can come see us because they're like, why are these conflicted voices in my head not getting along? It makes me think of a very funny event that happened in our house. I, I, I am a water sign and I do have fire in my chart and I have been wearing sweatpants with stilettos in the house and putting on music to dance because I feel like I got to get somewhere. <laughs> it's hysterical. Oh my God. I got the visual on that. Right. You got the visual on that. And what's, well, a, what's a girl to do? So, but there you are, there's your ability to mix them up. And this is the goal. And this is what the book is about. Once the observer's on and you can look at yourself and go, what? I have a part of me that has to get dressed up. 
and now I'm locked down. So now what am I? So once you're aware of the parts of you that need expression without being self-conscious or feeling guilty or wanting to tone yourself down, or especially your kids, like there's the kid that loves to live in their bedroom and they don't want to come out. Then there's the kid that has to get outside every day or they're going to go nuts. And if your observer's on and you're watching from a distance, there's compassion. And then it's even like casting the characters in your household in a way that lets them all be them. And they're like, thanks, mom. I feel so much more comfortable now. You're letting me go for a run. Like, you know, to say to me, honey, you got to get up and get out. You're too loud. You know, so it's just managing personality types is what it is. We're going to need to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about that observer, because this is really the key to everything, to, to understanding and making this work. And that's the enter, that's the most important point of my book, turning on the voice of compassion. Yeah, yeah. So let's take that break. And when we come back, we are going to continue the conversation with Deborah Silverman. We're talking about the missing element, inspiring compassion for the human condition. To learn more, please visit DebraSilvermanAstrology.com, on Twitter at Deborah Silverman, and on Facebook, Deborah Silverman Astrology, as well as on Instagram. That handle is Deborah Silverman underscore astrology. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight keys to unlocking a joyful life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Let's rejoin the conversation with Deborah Silverman. We're talking about the Wisdom Toolbox, igniting compassionate observation and action for the greater good. Let's get back to it. Deborah, prior to the break, we were talking about the how the four elements play out astrologically in our lives and the need for observation. And I would love for you to jump in here and really talk about the power of, uh, of the witness or the observer in our lives. You know, it's just, it's so um, hands-on. My work is very practical and I teach from a place of practical application. So you're in the middle of a fight. You can't do the spiritual schmiritual thing and go, I'm not angry. I'm just going to love everyone. No, you get pissed (laughs) off, you release the anger and then comes the observer and you realize, whoa, I just got really angry. And then as an advanced student, you start to realize what I can see. I'm getting really pissed off. The observer comes on before you get angry and you say to the person in front of you, I'm about to really get angry. I either need to walk out of the room or be willing to let me get excited because I am angry. So the observer gives permission not to take away the feeling or to erase it or to stuff it. But at the highest level, it lets you identify your personality trait and what's going on for you in the moment and name it and then be able to be kind. So 
It also goes to water, like, uh uh-oh, I feel myself going into depression. I feel myself getting drawn to addiction, for example. I'm feeling myself feeling really vulnerable. The observer comes out and you go, I must call my sponsor, or I really need a friend, or I really need someone. So it's simply the voice that sits in the wings, and it's waiting to give you direction. And once you get that muscle of the observer available and you know your personality type, first you learn the language of your personality type. And then once that pattern shows up that you're upset about or that it ruins things or it's a sabotager, when the observer's on, there's a free will button that shows up. And that's all I'm looking at. That is brilliant right there. You know, when the observer is on, the free will button shows up. That is, that's, that's the quantum of, I, I believe, what your message is. Yes. And the, and honestly, first things first, though, you can't bypass. You can't walk over the humans. Like we're all trying to be spirit. I call it spiritual schmiritual. We're trying to be so spiritual. But when the car rips you off and they pull in front of you and you give them the finger and all your spirituality went out the window, that's, <laughs> honest, that's honest human. That's fire. That's your impulse control being out of control. And then the observer comes on and you smile like you just did and went up, look at my human just showed up. And that's what this book is about. How do I help you without judgment, figure out that, yes, you just talk too much. Your air is out of control. You spilled the beans. You said the wrong thing. You stuck your foot in your mouth. It's too late now to erase it. However, once the observer's on, there's compassion. You're like, oh, I just did that thing again. I'm so sorry. And that's the gift of this work that I do is giving people. It doesn't take away the human condition. That's why it's not woo-woo. It's not trying to ascend. It's bringing you down into the human with compassion to say, yeah, everybody screws up. We're all goofy. We're all emotional wrecks. (laughs) We're all reactive. You push the right button and boom, and then on comes the observer and you have the gift of, I'm sorry. I, you know, really that's my unbelievable fire or that's my unbelievable water or that's my unbelievable air i i can't help it i just speak and speak and and then there's a vote and suddenly the free will and you you know what i realize i do that all the time and i want to stop and that's really the power of this work yeah you know what you know what you make me feel like you're the quintessential mom dispensing (laughs) very rational very usable very um uh attainable advice That's so funny because in my chart now, I don't like to talk astrology to beginners, but I have cancer as you are on the top of my chart. And so the the highest essence of my character has always been the mom, like wanting, wishing that there was someone that would say to me, yeah, you're all screwed up and I still love you. (laughs) Like, it's okay, honey. I like you just the way you are. And that is what astrology and this work does. That's so funny. The the humanistic part, you know, like a very Rogerian, right? Like the, the, the unconditional love of another human being simply because they exist. Yes. And knowing that everyone has quirks like, and not be alive in this life without wearing stilettos like that. Your Leo needs to wear your high heels. If you know the quirks that you have without making yourself feel like no one else should know, like it's a secret. Oh, no. Or you're self-conscious or you or you don't even do it anymore because you turned yourself off. Some people are numb and they come to see us and you know this and they've lost their spark or their luster yeah. and I have to say to them, wait, 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 let me look at your chart. This is what a really good, for me, psychotherapist does, is give you back to you on your terms. Like, yeah. how can I make you comfortable again? Yeah, it's a mom. You're so right. It's a it mom. It is. It's a quintessential mom. Like, it's, you know, June Cleaver in, in this <laughs> century, you know? But she has a chart in her hand. Can you imagine? Oh, my yeah, God. that's with a, with a chart in her hand and because you, you know, and you're in yoga pants. 
And no apron. <laughs> yes. And she's, and she's not feeling bad about you having just spilled the beans. Like she's like, honey, I knew that was going to happen. I saw it right here in your chart. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you something funny. I was watching a couple of your YouTube videos. The thing I love about you, Deborah Silverman, is many. We haven't known each other for but a few minutes, but I took a look at these videos where you describe the signs and I went to cancer, my sign. And there you are on, on the couch, surrounded by pillows and a bag of popcorn, and you are role-playing. And it is hysterical. Like, you are a comedian. Yeah, those videos got 8 million views. They're, they're on YouTube, you guys. So if you just put they're on hilarious. YouTube, Deborah Silverman Cancer, a little five-minute video will come on where I act. It was When I made those, Lisa, I was so embarrassed when I finished. I felt like it was public schizophrenia. Like, who dresses up in 12 little outfits and role plays. And I didn't have a director and I put them in a drawer because I was so embarrassed. No, that's I thought brilliant. They were so, I thought they were so like, really, you're going to expose yourself. And then fast forward five years later, somebody saw them, asked me, what can I put these? Do you have any videos? And I said, here's this video. And then she couldn't stop laughing. And yes, if I've never done anything since or before like it. Well, you were, you were like channeling, I don't know, like Austin Powers in the astrology world That's or something. Astrology, right. <laughs> it was very, very, very funny. And it's, yeah, and it, people it, 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 but there you see yourself, you see yourself coming and going well, as you're observer, describing. That's the observer. So suddenly you're laughing. That's how you know the observer's on when you're smiling, when you're laughing, when there's compassion and you're like, oh my God, versus the judgment, like, oh, I hate that part of myself. And I wish that would go away. Just like I did when I stuck the video in the drawer, because I was judging myself. And when someone else came by with their observer and said, Deborah, these are funny and you've got to get out of your ego. I was like, they're funny. And the next thing I knew, oh yeah, no, it's like, oh, I guess people liked them. <laughs> they are really funny. They are really, really funny. And they help people. That's my job. Yes. You know, you, you help us see ourselves, poke fun at ourselves, appreciate ourselves, make us laugh a little bit. And that is harvesting happiness. I love that word, harvesting happiness. Well, geez, we got to work at it, you know? Yeah. And then do you put it in a cake or bake it? Or what do you do once you harvest it? Oh, you have to share it. You have to like, oh, right. you have to spread the seeds around. You got to give, you know, give some to as many people as you can come in contact with. That's my job. I think we got the same job. We do have the same job, different angles. <clears throat> we're working different sides of the street, but we're, we're, we're going on a similar path. Yes. Yes. And it's true. You do have in your chart, just looking at it, you do have the gift of the gab and you do have the articulation. One of your gifts in this chart is in, you're doing it for all of us on this podcast is you speak, you ask the questions that we're all thinking, like you have an intense desire to communicate, which is one of the qualities of error. So there you go. I want people to get this. Like, I think that, you know, happiness is an equal opportunity emotion, you know, no matter how afflicted our charts might be, <laughs> everybody gets a shot at it. It's a cosmic joke. I think, that, you know, I have that too, Lucky. It's a very lucky quality. It's Gemini is what you and I both have. And it makes people talk and funny and childlike. We were talking about air yeah. being the kid. And that's where happiness comes from. Because the kid doesn't care if they get it wrong. They're supposed to get it wrong. You go to school to get it wrong. It's the grown-up that loses the childlikeness. And that's what you're harvesting is give us back the kid that's interested and wants to study astrology or wants to study. We have a school Literally, we have thousands of students from around the world, but it only happens twice a year. 
in September and January. And they come and they study. And now we have a new program starting in the spring called Continual Stars, or CS, where people are going to come and study just simple entrance level, low-hanging fruit, one-hour class once a week to tease you, (laughs) to get your kid back and tease you into believing that astrology just might work. You don't have to believe in it. I honestly say this all day. It believes in you. You just have to be open-minded to say, this personality trait I have is bugging me, or his, that's better, his personality trait's bugging me. Now, how do I figure out how to love him? Because once I loved him and now he's bugging me. Well, he's obviously a teenager or a young adult. (laughs) (laughs) See, and that's the best part of all. I love doing this work with parents because when the kids understand how to be who they are and the parents stop bugging them, everything changes. Yeah. Yes, that is so true. I have a very dear friend who has a 16-year-old daughter who is precociously launched from the house, and that is really bugging her. Like she just just doesn't understand it. Like that she should be her bubula forever, you know? Oh, I know. I know. I have a student right now whose kids are now empty nesters. There's a lot of I bet there's lots of women listening. It's a really hard transition, and here's the deal. You have to come back to yourself, and that's where astrology comes back. Go back and fall in love with you. Put your attention back on your destiny. Give yourself back to your remembrance of what you left behind. That's another program we have called Tell Me a Story that I just designed. It's a writing class that's four weeks, and we ask the first class is, what did I leave behind? And Because my whole job this life, whether it's with the elements or with writing or with the stars, is to say, listen, You came for a reason. You're not a mistake. You didn't get pushed on the bus, I promise. And while you may have lost something or you left something behind, it's not too late. And that's, you know, you and I both, we're so excitable. I can feel it. (laughs) Because we, you know, I've been through the school of hard knocks. I was in the front row and it was not easy. I lost a husband to MS. It was a painful, dangerous, emotional. And then I had to refine my love, which was for life. And so I know those people out there that are, losing their, that's why I feel so much compassion for the people that are feeling under it and can't pull themselves into the happiness mining. Like, where did I leave my happiness? Yeah. And some have never even tasted it. Imagine that. You've never had the taste. And that's water people. They get, they get drowned in the sensitivity that they are, which is a gift by the way, but it doesn't show up with joy. And that's called depression or it's called sadness. And there's a way to cultivate awareness and the healthy version, which is meditation and spirituality and yoga. There's medicines and that's in the book. Every element has a source of medicine to bring it back to the high road. And not always from a prescription pad. You know, in some cases one might need it, but there's a whole lot that the earth can do for us. Yes. And everyone has different verses. Not everyone can meditate. Not everyone can exercise. That's my whole point. Like in yeah. order to find your happiness, you've got to f- wear stilettos. Like, oh, you've got Leo in your chart. Go get dressed up. Oh, it's like, a, essential. Yeah. That's specific to Lisa. Yeah. No, see, I don't have that. <laughs> I don't necessarily need to leave the house, but I I, I got to get dressed up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so cute that you, it's your Gemini Leo, by the way. You have to have the fun factor. But some people's fun is baking and some people's fun is doing their taxes. They get off on yes. details, yes. believe it or not. Some people have fun cleaning. Oh, I'm that. Oh, I love cleaning. That's the best meditation. Cleaning, folding laundry. Oh, yes. Yes. Now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. I, I can meet you there. Yes. Let's do that together. You can meet me I in the laundry room. I love the smell of clean oh, laundry. Yes. Oh, my God. And the crisp folding. 
Oh, and the hot sheets when you get in the bed yes. after you just put them on the dryer and you just, these are the pleasures in life. Yes, here we go. Yes. So, so if you guys are listening to this and you're like, I forgot those simple pleasures, I've lost it or I'm so busy. That's another problem on this planet. I've got so other oriented women that I've lost myself. This is what this work does. It gives you back to your prescription on your terms of what feeds you and how to recultivate and then compassion for all. What's his name? Hey, I want to read one thing. We're out of time, which I can't believe. I want to name drop on your behalf, if that's okay, Deborah. Go for it. So Sting wrote a, wrote a little blurb about you that I think just says it all. Sting writes, Deborah Silverman reminds you what fun it is to be you, the singular, freakish, awkward you. And she also reminds you of your potential, potential of your gifts to the world and of your place in it. And I think that's beautiful and so descriptive of, of what you're doing. Now he's, guess what element he is? Who's the wordsmith? Who speaks and communicates so clearly? Oh, the wordsmith. Wait, hang on. I'm looking here. I'm at my crib notes. The cancer. No, it's an air person. It's the word. He is double air. His gift is words. Every, every, I can't even believe. I want to make a book out of all his texts that he wrote me, all of his emails. He's the wordsmith. Wow. And look at his music and look at the book that he's written. So it is air element that can put words together and you go, wow, your singular freakish, awkward self. Thank you, Sting. I couldn't have said it better myself. Right. It's, it's, but it's true. I mean, and this is what your book is giving us permission to be to rise into, which is yes. the missing element, inspiring and compassion. And, and, and how did I meet Sting? When you're in the flow of being your authentic self, when you find the magic, the magician works with the four elements, all of a sudden these crazy things happen and I end up at Sting's office and, or his studio. What was it? No, his the back room of his um, dressing room. Wow. How bizarre. And I spent a year and a half traveling with him around the world. How cool is that? And that's because I'm telling you, it's magic. If you're, for those of you that are looking for your destiny, you first have to get back to your natural rhythm. And once you're in the flow state, there's this crazy thing called synchronicity that he made an album about made a fortune. Yeah. Synchronicity things work. And, but that is the truth. Synchronicity is what does it. I think we're dinging, alerting, and it's the universe is telling us it's, it's synchronicity. time. Synchronicity. It's synchronicity. The book we're speaking of is The Missing Element, Inspiring Compassion for the Human Condition. My guest today and the author of this fabulous book is Deborah Silverman. To learn more about Deborah, her book, her offerings, which are bountiful, please visit her website, DebraSilvermanAstrology.com, on Twitter at Deborah Silverman, on Facebook, that handle is Deborah Silverman Astrology, and on Instagram, Deborah Silverman underscore astrology. And for you eye rollers and naysayers, don't poo poo it. Go have a look and have a chuckle. Look up your sign on YouTube. I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And you might even find some happiness. There. Yes, exactly. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen and my guests, Dr. Dilip Jeste and Deborah Silverman, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. 
Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.